let's get to the preaching, y'all. So we're in this uh, new series here uh, called All Things New, but we're in this year of discipleship, week number 47. So we have very little time left um, in this. Week 47, we are in this final series um, called All Things New. We are in the Bible reading plan, which John has invited you to jump in with us. Again, I want to encourage you to jump in with us as well. Um, All Things New, and I kind of got all in the fields this week because it's the last sermon series of this year, number eight of eight. We've been plowing through this uh, this year and we are in all things new. And so what we've been doing is tracing the movement of God through the story of God as recorded in the word of God. So we've been seeing how God has operated throughout history as told through, um, recorded in the scriptures and the gospel. You may have heard me talk about this before. The gospel, God's story is kind of wrapped up in four major movements. Like if we were going to try to put the Bible into four parts, it would be creation, fall, rescue, restoration. And we've been working through this story all year. So creation starts in the very beginning when God created um, the heavens and the earth and he created uh, man and woman to honor him and to glorify him, to be in relationship with him. But then soon after, Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall where Adam and Eve plunged themselves and all the human race into sin. They, they opposed God by their, by their uh, rebelliousness. And we see throughout the rest of the Old Testament all of humankind, all of God's people wrestling with this fallen condition and being in relationship with God. And, and then we, we come into the New Testament and we see the rescue of God comes in the person of Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, Jesus comes, lives the perfect life, perfectly sinless, perfectly um, in obedience to his Father, and he lays his life down on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And he is raised from the dead, and this message of rescue goes into all the world. And we come out of this series called Spirit and Truth, where the church was born, uh, the, the gospel, this good news of rescue, goes throughout the known world. And so we are kind of in this place where we've seen the rescue of God come, and yet we're awaiting this time, that fourth part of the story is restoration. This is when God will restore all things to his original intent. Sometimes this, this fourth piece is called new creation because it's kind of like this, this circular story. We started out with creation, fall, Jesus has provided rescue. All things are moving towards this new creation when all things will be as they were originally intended to be. He will restore all things, make all things new again. And so this is the series we're in, All Things New. We're going to finish out the year with this series. We're going to wrap up on Christmas Eve. Uh, I didn't mention this in the first service, but 4 p.m. and 5.15 p.m., just giving you a heads up on Christmas Eve services. Uh, Christmas does fall on a Sunday this year, so there will be no Sunday services, but we'll have Christmas Eve services uh, on the 24th. So this week... As you know, we are approaching Thanksgiving, and uh, you know some of you treat Thanksgiving like it's a speed bump on the way to Christmas, right? Shame on you, all right? Stop, stop listening to your Christmas music. Stop watching your Christmas movies until Friday, all right? The man of God has spoken, all right? Yeah, all right, thank you. Um, so uh, I do love Thanksgiving, man. I love, love, love Thanksgiving. There's a lot of things I love about Thanksgiving. I love the food, obviously. Uh, I love like the excessive amounts of food, the excessive amounts of football. <laughs> I love it all. I'm still trying to get over 
Last night's game, y'all, the Gamecocks, what in the world? Um, wow, that was, it's, it's fun to win, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so, I love that part of this season. Um, uh, here, here's one thing I love about uh, Thanksgiving also. So, I didn't grow up in the church. I knew really nothing of what I preached to you today, nothing about the Lord until 17 years old. So, I didn't, I didn't know any of this stuff, and so... When it came to Christian holidays, like Easter and Christmas, I really didn't understand those from a Christian perspective. Like, I didn't understand Easter, the resurrection of Christ. I didn't understand, really, Christmas, the coming of Jesus. But Thanksgiving, I understood Thanksgiving. That's a pretty easy one to understand, that we are to be thankful people. And uh, I do love Thanksgiving because I do believe that we, um, as the church, the people of God, we ought to, of all people, be people of gratitude. Amen? We are to be people of gratitude. And what we see today in today's text really, uh, to me, is a text that my hope is that as we kind of come into this week, it'll help us to just have hearts of, of gratitude. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can be grateful for, but I think what we see here is just going to remind us of, of, of what God has done for us. And I would say that this text, Ephesians chapter 2, is where we're going to be today. Uh, this is like a top 10 uh, text in the Bible. I would even say top 5. Um, and, and, and all the Bible's inspired, all of it's incredible, but man, this is one of those passages of scripture I refer to and think of often. And I just believe that the more we get it and the more that we grow in our understanding of it, man, the more thankful that we will be. I find that the older I grow and the longer I walk with Christ, the more I appreciate the truth of what we see in Ephesians chapter two. And, and I was praying this morning, I pray every time before I preach and I have a certain, you know, three things that I pray for. But one of the things I prayed for I literally had to stop and write it down on my whiteboard because I was like, ooh, that's good. God, time out. Let me write this down. I was praying, God, I have no agenda but the gospel today. And, and really, that's the truth of, of every week. But just really today, it's, it's no agenda but the gospel. And this is what we can be thankful for is the truth of the gospel. And so the title of today's sermon is Dead Made Alive. Dead Made Alive. And we've sung about it, and now we're going to see it in the scriptures, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We're in the book of Ephesians. Let me give you some context, what this book or this letter is all about. You know, we've been going through, again, the New Testament. We saw in the book of Acts, the church is born. Uh, God takes this uh, man named Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, and he, man, he flips his life upside down. He changes his life by his grace. Saul becomes Paul, becomes a follower of Christ, begins to take the gospel message throughout the world. And we saw last week, we talked about persecution. And how when we live for Christ, there will be persecution. We saw that in the life of Paul. And the last thing we kind of left off with, Acts chapter 23 last week, was Paul was dealing with persecution. The Lord himself came and stood by him, if you remember this. And he, he basically said, I'm, I'm with you, I'm standing beside you, and I'm not done with you. He said, you have testified to the facts of who I am in Jerusalem. You will testify in Rome also, and, and I don't want you to miss this. This is just like a little like insider info. Like Paul wanted, his prayer was to get to Rome. He wanted to get to Rome to spread the gospel. And God actually used persecution, if you've, if you've been with us in the reading plan, he actually used persecution to get Paul to Rome. 
And so God will use persecution even to propel the gospel forward. And God answered Paul's prayers through persecution. And so Paul, at the end of the book of Acts, finds himself imprisoned in Rome. And this is where he pens the letter to the Ephesians, to the, the believers in Ephesus. And so this is where this, this letter is, is born. Um, Ephesians is six chapters long. It's short, but man, it's so full of the gospel. It's all about the gospel. In fact, uh, my study Bible, the ESV Gospel Transformation Bible, it made this note I thought was a, a pretty cool quote. It says, there may be no other book in all the Bible that packs as, in as much gospel per square inch. I mean, it's just full of the gospel from beginning to end. And I just want to take a second to kind of explain to you the book of Ephesians. It's such an important book of the Bible, one of the most important ones. And it's six chapters. It's divided in two. So it's chapters one, two, and three. And then chapters four, five, and six. And I just want to give you some insight on what this book is all about when it comes to the gospel. Chapters one, two, and three is what we would call gospel explanation. Chapters four, five, and six is gospel application. In other words, here, here's an explanation of what the gospel is all about, who God is, what he's done, who he has made us to be. And then chapters four, five, and six, the last half of the book is, okay, here's how you apply it. Here's how you live out the gospel in your life. Another way we could word it is first half is gospel indicatives. Second half is gospel imperatives. So indicatives are statement of truth. And then imperatives are statements of, okay, here is what you need to do in light of those truths. So gospel indicatives, first half, gospel imperatives in the second half. You've heard, y'all have heard me talk about the four questions that center us around the gospel. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I? What do I do? So chapters one, two, and three are all about questions one, two, and three. It tells us who God is, what he's done, who he has made us, our identity in Christ. Chapters four, five, and six tell us how to live in light of those truths. So it answers the question, what do I do? And so uh, that's a way this, this book um, is divided up. And uh, it's an incredible and powerful book. Let me read you this, this other quote from my, my study Bible. The message of Ephesians is that when we embrace the love of Christ, we will also embrace the way of life that Christ loves. So we embrace his love, and then it changes the way that we live. It changes our life. One of the things that you see about God in his word, and in particular in this book of Ephesians, is that God loves to redeem things, right? He loves to redeem things. He loves to redeem people. He lo loves to take what is old and make it, what? New. He loves to take what is dead and make it alive. He loves to take what is broken and make it whole. You guys did way better than first service. Uh, I, I did a better job as well, leading you in that. And this is what we see in Ephesians chapter 2. It's a microcosm of the story of God. It, it, it really, it tells the story of, of you and of me, if you have put your faith in Jesus, how you went from being the old you to the new you, how you went from being uh, dead to alive, how you went from being broken, and we would argue we're still 
pretty broken, but spiritually and positionally, we have gone from being broken into being whole in Christ. And so Ephesians chapter 2 in 10 verse. 10 verses, packs this in. And so here's uh, what we're going to look at today, the story of how you and I were made new. So Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, three things that we're going to see today. Number one is this, we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins. Now again, he is writing to followers of Christ, those who have put their faith in Jesus. He's saying you were dead in your sins. Verses 1 through 3 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were dead in our sins. So if you have a Bible, if you write in your Bible or mark it up, uh, I would tell you this, circle the word dead, underline the word sins. Circle the word dead, underline the word sins. So we were dead in our sins. And and I just want to walk through this. this. Again, this is a reminder for many of us for some of you, maybe you've never heard this. Maybe you, would, you, have, you were like I was up until the age of 17. You have no, um, no understanding of what all of this is about. So who we were before coming to Christ, verse number two, it says that we were uh, sons of disobedience. We were in disobedience to God. Verse number three says we were by nature children of wrath. In other words, because of our disobedience because of our sin against a holy God, we were under, we were children of wrath. We were under the wrath of God that will be revealed one day. It says verse number three, and I think this is important to to see, it says we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, what Paul says is that we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same condition of being disobedient to God, being sinners who are separated from God. We are children of wrath. We are under the wrath of God. And this is who we were. We were, in essence, we were, we were doomed. Every single one of us because of our sin against God. And then we see in these first three verses who we were, but also how we lived, how we walked is the way that Paul phrases it, how we once walked. Verse number two, it says that we once walked following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air. In other words, the prince of the power of the air we see in scripture, that is referring to God's enemy. That's referring to Satan that we are following the course of this world that is opposed to God, that is going contrary, different direction from God, uh, and we're following this course. It, it's kind of like a lazy river. Any of you all ever like jumped in a, you know, inflatable and just floated down, you know, lazily down the river? That's kind of our condition before coming to Christ, that we're just, you know, stuck in this life, just floating down the course of this world that is going contrary to the way of God. We are sons of disobedience, children of wrath. And, and he says in verse number three that 
you know, we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. In other words, he's saying like anything that you could think of to do, anything that you felt like you wanted to do, you would do that. You were under total control of your bodily, fleshly appetites. You were just floating down the river. You were slaves to sin, to your desires, and to the course of this world, the enemy of God. This is who you were. You weren't just a bad person. You were dead in your sins. You weren't just a little bit messed up. You were dead in your sins. This is our condition before Christ. But then he goes on in verse number four, and this is the second thing we're going to see. He says, we were made alive by his grace. We were made alive by his grace. Starting in verse number four, two of the most important words that we see here, but God who in the midst of our story, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our being dead in sin, but God intervened. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. And if you're marking in your Bible, I want you to circle the word alive. Made us alive, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I want you to underline the word grace, and you're going to see it a couple more times here. Circle the word alive, underline the word grace. He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his what? Grace, underline it. The immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by what? Grace, underline it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we were dead in our sins. We were made alive by his grace. And so we saw who we were and how we lived. Let's talk about for a second or let's point out in these verses who God is. Verse number four. Again, this is the truth of the gospel that we're seeing. God, who is rich in mercy. I love that phrase because when you think of somebody being rich or wealthy, what you're saying is that person, they ain't running out of money anytime soon, right? And when we talk about God being rich in mercy, what we're saying is he ain't running out of mercy anytime soon. He is rich. He is abundant in mercy towards us. Verse number four goes on to say, because of what kind of love did he love us with? What, what kind of love? Great love. Because of the great love and with which he loved us. So he is rich in mercy. He loves us with great love. Verse number five, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Like think about that for a second. That, that God sees our sin, but he also sees past our sin. He sees us. And he loves us even while we were in our sin. This, this makes me think of, you know, if you think about somebody who maybe you feel has done you wrong, 
you know, your first response is, man, I don't have anything to do with this person. But God said, I see the wrong that you have done towards me, and yet I still love you. The you behind your brokenness, the you behind your sin. He is rich in mercy, loves us with a great love. He sees beyond our sin, even when we were dead in our trespasses in, in sin. So this is who God is. What, what has he done? Verse 5 and 6 tells us, even when we were dead, he has made us alive together with Christ. The way we would say this is he has united us with Christ. He's united us with Christ. He's made us alive with Christ. He's raised us up with Christ. He has seated us with Christ. He has put us into his son. He has united us with Christ. Verse 7. And I love, I love this verse. It, it's, if, you, if you read much of the New Testament and Paul's writing, you see this from time to time where Paul just gets really like wordy. All right, he gets really wordy and he like piles words on words on words. And, and, uh, and, and I love how he does this in verse number seven. He says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What Paul is basically saying here is that in the coming ages, all right, so on into eternity, in the coming ages, God is, is always going to deal with us on the basis of grace. Like it's, it's inexhaustible. He's, he's going to continue to, to um, deepen uh, us in his grace and grow us in his grace. And I love this, this, this image or this thought because sometimes we think if we're a child of God, someday I'm going to be in heaven, Some, someday I'm going to enter into eternity and I will be with Christ in heaven, and I'm going to be perfect. And like the, the, the truth is, when you look at this, like we are going to continue to learn. We're going to continue to grow in the grace of God. We may be sinless, but man, we're going to still continue to learn and grow his grace. This is a subject that is inexhaustible. And so in the coming ages, he's going to continue to show us the, the, the majesty and the the, the magnitude of his grace. And I want to read you this quote from an old theologian, A.T. Pearson. He says this about the grace of God. It is a voluntary exercise of love for which he is under no obligation. What constituted the glory of grace is that it is an utterly unfettered, unconstrained exercise of the love of God toward poor sinners. Like God wasn't obligated to show us love, but this is what grace is. The utterly unfettered, unconstrained exercise of the love of God toward poor sinners. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, and speaking of the riches of his grace, he says, so it is, uh, so is it with the grace of God. He has as much grace as you want, and he has a great deal more than that. The Lord has as much grace as a whole universe will require, but he has vastly more. He overflows all the demands that can ever be made on the grace of God will never impoverish him or even diminish his store of mercy. There will remain, I'm, I don't want to read this word, I, I butchered this word in the first service, incalculably. 
that was kind of sheepishly okay. Don't watch the replay of that. It was a nightmare. There will remain this unable to calculate precious mine of mercy as full as when he first began to bless the sons of men. If you ever think of your life and think, oh my goodness, just the mercy that God has to pour out on my poor life, like he's got to be running low, right? And he says, no, 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 no. It's like he didn't even lose a drop of it. It's inexhaustible, the riches of his grace toward us. So Paul, again, he's building words upon words to show the immensity of the grace of God. Like just saying God is gracious just doesn't do it justice. And so if you look at verse number seven again, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So if you kind of go from the end and work your way back, like building these words, here's what Paul says. He says, he talks about his kindness toward us. His kindness toward us, but not just his kindness toward us, his grace in kindness toward us. But not just his grace, the riches of his grace in kindness towards us. And not just the riches of his grace, the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. Y'all, Paul was so caught up and enamored by the grace of God in his life that he just said, man, I can't just say, God's been gracious to you. No, the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward you and toward me. The immensity of his grace. There's not enough words to, to describe it. He says, so in the coming ages, for, out, for all of eternity, throughout all eternity, he's going he's gonna to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. He goes on to say here in verses 8 and 9, that salvation from our sin, this forgiveness that we need, is not achieved by anything that we do, but it's received as a gift from God. Verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Okay, so I want you all, I didn't do this in the first service, I want you to say that phrase with me together. And this is not your own doing. Say it one more time. And this is not your own doing. Make sure you get that. You don't, you don't, earn this. You don't deserve this. You don't work for this. Salvation is a gift from God. It is a gift from God that we receive. So a few things to get through our brains this morning. Salvation cannot be earned by confirmation. Salvation cannot be earned by baptism. Salvation cannot be earned by church attendance. Salvation cannot be earned by church membership. Salvation cannot be earned by communion. Salvation cannot be earned by keeping the Ten Commandments. Salvation cannot be earned by living out the Sermon on the Mount. Salvation cannot be earned by giving to charity. Salvation cannot be earned by feeding the poor. Salvation cannot be earned by being a good neighbor. Salvation cannot be earned by living a good moral life. Salvation cannot be earned, period. It's a gift. 
is a gift that is given to poor, undeserving sinners. To what we sung about earlier, to a wretch like me. It's a gift from God. Y'all, do we have something to be thankful about today? The gift of God for us. Let me read this quote to you from, again, Charles Spurgeon. It's a little lengthier, but I think it's helpful. So it talks about being saved by grace through faith. So let's talk about that for a second. Charles Spurgeon says, Faith saves us because it makes us cling to Christ Jesus, and he is one with God and thus brings us into connection with God. I am told that years ago, above the falls of Niagara, show of hands, who has actually seen Niagara Falls in person? Anybody? Pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, I asked the question in the first service, is it one of the seven wonders of the world? Um, I think it is. It ought to be, right? It's amazing if you've ever seen it. Um, we went to it on our first anniversary back in the year 2000. All right, dating myself. All right, so here's what Charles Spurgeon said. I am told that years ago, above the falls of Niagara, a, a boat was upset or turned over, and two men were being carried down by the current when persons on the shore managed to float a rope out to them, which rope was seized by them both. One of them held fast to it and was safely drawn to the bank. But the other, seeing a great log come floating by, unwisely let go the rope and clung to the great piece of timber, for it was the bigger thing of the two and apparently better to cling to. Moron, right? So he grabs hold of the timber. Alas, the timber with the man on it went right over uh, the vast abyss because there was no union between the wood and the shore. The size of the log was no benefit to him who grasped it. It needed a connection with the shore to produce safety. So when a man trusts to his works or to his prayers or alms givings or to sacraments or to anything of that sort, he will not be saved because there is no junction between him and God through Christ Jesus. But faith, though it may seem to be like a slender cord, is in the hand of the great God on the shore side. Infinite power pulls in the connecting line and thus draws the man from destruction. Oh, the blessedness of faith, because it unites us to God by the Savior, whom he has appointed, even Jesus Christ. Oh, reader, is there not common sense in this matter? Think it over, and may there soon be a band of union between you and God through your faith in Christ Jesus. It's the gift of God. It's him reaching out and pulling us to shore. So we were dead in our sins. We were made alive by his grace. Here's the third thing we'll consider this morning. Verse number 10, we are now his workmanship, walking in good works. We are now his workmanship, walking in good works. Verse number 10 wraps up this passage. He says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, if you're marking up your Bible, circle the word workmanship, underline the two words good works. Circle workmanship, underline good works. We are now his workmanship, walking in good works. 
And so I want to talk about that word workmanship for a moment. I've probably talked about this before, I know, but it comes from a Greek word uh, which is pronounced poema. Uh, I like to say poema, but I'm not a Greek scholar. Um, But can you see an English word that might pop out of that? Anybody see it or you know this already? It's the word poem. So workmanship, this Greek word, literally means poem or masterpiece is another great word it's translated as. Uh, I like to use the phrase I want to use this morning, work of art. Work of art. What Paul is saying here is we are, not by our works, but because of the gift of God that we have received, we are God's work of art. Like, let that sink in for a second. Because some of you are like, hmm, I need a redrawing here. This is not very masterful, right? Like, like here's the thing about artwork is that uh, it's very subjective, isn't it? Somebody looks at, creates something, and it's like, this is a work of art. And you're like, that's a piece of work, <laughs> right? <laughs> so think of, think of the most um, well-known piece of artwork. What do you think it is? Mona Lisa, all right? So, um, I mean, I look at that, and I go... Really? Da Vinci, couldn't you have done better than that? That is not a work of art. Uh, so interesting. Uh, so here's, here's another one. A second one is Starry Night uh, by Van Gogh. Are you familiar with this one? Uh, I think I'd seen this probably in like Walmart picture frames and at-home stores for years before I realized, oh, that's a, that's a work of art. It looks like somebody threw some you know, watercolor together. Uh, here's another one, The Scream. Y'all familiar with this one? That is a famous work of art, believe it or not. That looks like something that your you know, kid did at school and you have it on your refrigerator. Like, ah, like that's, really, that's a, that's a piece, that's a work of art. It is a piece of work. Um, but I'm so curious how much that is worth. Somebody Google that and tell me before the end of the service. But artwork is so subjective. And so you may look at yourself and go, I'm a mess. But I'm telling you, the way the artist looks at you the one who has created you, who has designed you with purpose and intention and great love and care. He says, you are my work of art. I've created you for my purposes to glorify me. You are my poema, my masterpiece. You're found, right? I mean, found, sorry, let's find, find my phone. That's my sound when I lost my phone. Sorry, um, lost is now found. Squirrel. <laughs> Where was I? Silence your phones, please. <laughs> Easily distracted. Um, so uh, we are made new by... by so here, here's the thing we have to figure out here. So we are not made new by our good works. We are made new by Christ's work. But we are made new by Christ's work so that we would walk in good works. So we would live differently. This is what he talks about. He says, verse, I'm going to read it again. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, not by good works, for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Before what? Before you even existed. He created you for this, that you would that we should walk in them. And I love this contrast. And I don't know if I've fully caught this before. He said, this is the way you were created to walk in good works. 
And this is in total contrast to who we once were. Verse number two says, verse number one, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once what? Walked. This is how you used to walk. This is how you used to live. You were dead in your sins. You were floating down the lazy river of this world's course, following the prince of the power of the air. You had no control over your desires and your flesh. You did whatever you could think of, whatever you felt like doing, you did. You walked in your trespasses and sins. This is the way your life was marked, doing whatever you wanted, contrary to God. But now... You've been made new. We are his workmanship, his work of art, that we should walk now in good works. So we're to look differently than we used to look. Here is is the bottom line this morning. By his grace, by his grace, we are God's walking work of art. By his grace, we are God's walking work of art. We went from a dead, dark soul to this walking work of art that you and I, as we walk through our life, we get to be a canvas of God's grace on display for everyone to see. We are his walking work of art. And so let me encourage you, and I I almost pause on saying this because I don't want this to sound like self-helpy garbage, but man, don't ever, ever doubt your value in your worth if you are a child of God. You are his work of art. You were created before you were even created. This was his plan for you, is that you would walk in his good works, that you would live a life that would bring glory to God. You are a canvas of his grace. You get to be the poster boy or the poster girl for the grace of God, for everyone who comes in contact with you. You are God's workmanship, walking in good works. And so maybe this morning you are still stuck back in verses one through three, dead in your sins. Maybe you've never understood who Jesus is. Maybe you've never understood the the mercy that he has, the love that he has for you, the free gift that he has offered to you. I just want to tell you this morning, there is good news that that grace that has the power to make you alive is available to you today. It is available to you today. The gift has been presented. The cord has been thrown out. The line, the rescue line has been thrown out. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus and grab a hold of Christ. And so maybe that's you today. Uh, maybe you're somewhere in verses 4 through 10. You're, you, you've, you've been made alive. You are are seated with Christ, you've been a recipient of his grace, can I encourage us all, if this is where you're at today, man, be thankful. Be thankful of all the things you could be thankful for. And again, I am sure there are many, many, many things for which you and I can be thankful. But man, at the heart of it all, at the top of that list, is the grace of God that makes us whole, that makes us new, that makes us alive. Amen. And so let's approach this year with gratitude for what God has done. We're God's walking work of art so we can walk in his ways this week. And I want to read, I kind of want to read this, end with this um, writing by Paul Tripp. It's kind of a poem, a poema, if you will, for you Greek fools. Um, 
here's what Paul, David Tripp says, and it's, it's actually pretty long. I kind of have, have shortened it just for our purposes this morning. Here's what he says. Under the reign of your amazing grace, miraculous transformation takes place. The thorn bush becomes a cypress tree. The briar becomes a myrtle. Your reign doesn't make things bigger and better, but entirely different than they once were, giving constant testimony to the presence and power of your mercy. Under the reign of your amazing grace, miraculous transformation takes place. I too have been, am being, will be changed by the power of that grace. My blind eyes have been made to see, my cold, cold heart has been made warm, my stubborn spirit has been given power to obey. My boastful heart now bows in worship. My selfish energy is now given in service. My fear has become confident hope. The deepest love of my heart has been captured by love of you. Under the reign of your amazing grace, miraculous transformation takes place. I am so very, very thankful that because of your wisdom, your sovereignty, your faithfulness, your perseverance, and your steadfast love, it is still raining. Y'all, we have a lot to be thankful for this week. And I want to ask y'all to stand with me. We're going to worship the Lord in these last few moments. We're going to sing a song that uh, I love. It's called How Deep Worship team, you're going to go ahead and come on up here. How deep the Father's love for us. And I just want to read the first few um, lines of this so that uh, we're just preparing our hearts and remembering what we have to be grateful for. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son, and I love this line, to make a wretch, which is you and me, his treasure his work of art, how great the pain of searing loss. He's talking about the Lord Jesus on the cross. The Father turns his face away. When our sin came upon Christ, the Father had to look away. And that was when darkness fell upon the earth. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. That's you and me because of the grace of God. And so God, this morning, thank you for your grace the immeasurable riches of your grace and kindness toward us. Lord, we are recipients of grace. We have much, so very much to be grateful for today and this week. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, you would continue to stir up within us hearts of gratitude. Lord, help us to realize that however we see ourselves, if we are in Christ, you see us as your work of art. And that's more than many of us can even begin to fathom or understand, and yet it is truth. And so help us to live in light of that. Help us to walk in good works because of the work of Christ for us. God, we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen.